Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, you'd help me to communicate your heart. Pray for the spirit of prophecy. It's the testimony of Jesus. Help me to speak as an oracle and hold my hand tonight. We want to understand what the spirit is saying to the church. We want to comprehend what's moving in the heart of God. Lord, speak to us as it relates to the building of the house of prayer, establishing a culture of prayer. Oh, we love you so much, Lord. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Okay, good. Turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 2. And we are going to continue a series we started last week called Cultivating a Culture of Prayer. And just to kind of set it back up, last week we talked about how in Matthew 21, Jesus, right there at the end of his life, he shows up in the temple courts. It's the Passover week, and there's many in the temple, and they're buying and selling doves and, and oxen, and there's, there's money changers, and they're making a, an incredible profit on the on the on the feast of the Lord and and Jesus shows up with fire in his eyes and he overthrows the tables of the money changers. He drives those out who were selling and, and he, he says, you have made my father's house a den of thieves. He goes, my father's house is supposed to be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And we went through it last week in detail What was he saying? What was he doing there? And essentially what he's saying is the corporate gathering, the people of God, it's to be known as a, the the people of God are to be known as a praying people. My house shall be called a house of prayer. That's a cliche that we kind of throw around here and there in the church. But when Jesus shows up and he makes such an incredible statement the way he does, not just the verbal thing he does, but the physical thing. When do you ever see Jesus get physical? You never see that, except for twice, both times over the same issue. And there it was, the last week of his life, and he's in the temple courts making a statement that's joining the testaments in between the Old and the New Testament, making a statement, and he's saying, the, the, the people of God and the gathering of God shall be known as a house of prayer. The people of God are to be known as a praying people. He's making a cultural statement that's to define how the people of God are, are conceived by those that are outside. My house shall be called a house of prayer. And then he releases the indictment. He says, but you've made it a robber's den. You've made it a den of thieves. And it's just a piercing word of judgment. He's quoting from Jeremiah. And so we looked at that in detail last week. And we dealt with the individual issue of, you know, personally being a a house of prayer, a a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we also dealt in detail with what it means for a community to be a house of prayer. Let me tell you something. House of prayer is not just IHOP. IHOP doesn't equal house of prayer. House of prayer 
It's the way that the church is known by God and it's the dream of God for the church. I'm not saying 24-7 in the way that we do it. I'm saying that the church, my house, God's house, shall be called a house of prayer. Well, in this age, the church is the house of God along with the, the people of Israel. That house shall be called a house of prayer. And so in a certain way, you could say, when he's saying my house, he's talking about the church global. It's to be a praying church, known for its prayer life. So we talked about the individual issues. We talked about the corporate issue, and the dynamics of that, and what that means for us as a community. And how essential it is that we not simply have, and, and we're... <laughs> In a sense, I, I, I just a little tremble over it. We're walking on the wild side over here. If Jesus shows up at the temple, throws over table with, tables with fire in his eyes, and says, my house is to be called a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves, you're not doing what it's supposed to be doing, I tremble that we would actually put that phrase in our name. It would be the, de- it would be the most definitive statement of presumption to put house of prayer in your name and not actually live out the reality. And so I, I look at that, I go, oh Lord, help us, help us, help IHOP Atlanta to actually live this corporate culture. Live out what this means, this dream that you had, that your house should be called a house of prayer. Your people should be a praying people, should be known for their prayer. We went through that in detail last week. Well, I want to focus on, that's the second time he, he went into the temple courts and, and overthrew the table. I want to focus on the first time that's in John chapter 2 this week. Because the language is slightly different, but there's, a, uh, there's revelation that the Holy Spirit gives to the disciples that are standing by and watching this thing that is really, really helpful that we've got to connect to. Because while Jesus is doing what he's doing, while he's making a whip and driving people out of the temple courts, Holy Spirit is helping the disciples deal with that. And so John 2, let's look at this. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's a Passover. It's three years earlier. Here's Jesus in the temple. He's in the outer courts, what they would call the court of the Gentiles. That's where they were selling. It says in verse 14, And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords. That's a whip. He made a whip and drove them all out of the temple. (laughs) Thinking about this, at the very least, Jesus with a whip is swinging at people. At the, at the very least, he's swinging at people. Because to get driven out, you're not going to, if the guy shows up and goes, I've got a whip and I'm serious, you're going to go, bah. But if the guy comes at you, there you are in your booth, he goes, hey, rah! you're like, whoa. He goes, that's right, rah, rah. You're like, okay, 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 okay. So at the very least, it's whoosh, you know, the whip is flying by. At the very most, it's shuck, pow, crack, ow! Driving people out. 
You got to feel this one. Our Jesus with the whip, the very least swinging really close. At the very most, he's cracking a few heads. <laughs> We're all, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice. He's all, He's a lot, there's a lot more Rambo in Jesus than we want to admit. Drove them. How do you drive out animals? How do you drive out oxen? You hit them. He's hitting them. Pow! Never, I've never tried to get an ox to move, but I don't think it's easy. He drives them out. Drove them all out of the temple with sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He's exerting himself, beloved. He's, he is energized. He's making a statement. This is serious to his heart. And that's a major point we've got to get. He bookends his earthly ministry by making a major statement over an issue that's critical. It's serious to his heart. He never makes a statement in this manner any other time in his earthly ministry, but here over the same point, he bookends his entire ministry by making a physical display over the issue of the house of prayer. When you, when you see temple, think house of prayer. When you see tabernacle of David's, think house of prayer. The issue is prayer. And essentially when he shows up in Matthew 21, he goes, where is the prayer? You know my father's house is to be called a house of prayer. Now where is it? You've made it a robber's den instead. This is a critical thing for Jesus. Verse 16, and to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. He's kind there. The first time he shows up, he's kind with them. He's driving them out with a whip, but he says, you're making it a place of business. When he shows up three years later, he goes, you've made it a robber's den. He says, I've given you a minute to repent and you have not. And that phrase, we went into it last week, it's a proclamation of judgment. And it was 35 years later, essentially, that the temple would no longer exist. Rome would siege Jerusalem and destroy the temple. You've made it a place of business. Verse 17, his disciples remembered. That's an interesting thing. You can read through it quickly and you can imagine, if you just read through it quickly, you can imagine Maybe Jesus goes, zeal for my father's house is eating me up. But that's not what happened at all. Imagine you're one of the disciples. You're standing by. You've just joined up with Jesus. You've just quit fishing. You've just quit doing what you were doing. And here's Jesus. You know, we're going into Jerusalem for the first time. It's Passover. All right, we're getting a ministry started here. This is going to be good. Jesus is going to do some miracles. He's going to show everybody what he's all about. Oh, this is good. This is, what's he doing? He has a whip. What's he doing? He's swinging at people. He's throwing over. T- Whoa, this is bad. <laughs> this is real bad. And they're, so he, they do the deal and they're leaving. And you can imagine the disciples are kind of looking at each other like, what did we, I quit my job, man. <laughs> We're supposed to have a mega ministry here. <laughs> what are you, you've just shot yourself in the foot. This, this is not how you win friends and influence people, Jesus. 
And I imagine them walking away and having a conversation going, man, I didn't think it was going to go that way. You know, one of the guys says to the other guy, and the other guy goes, you know, me neither. But, you know, when he was doing that, I, I think it's in the Psalms somewhere, that, that phrase, zeal for your house will consume me. He goes, I was remembering that phrase as he was doing that. And, and I realized that he's actually fulfilling that in front of us. And the other guy goes, that's so crazy. I was thinking the same thing. The disciples remembered. They remembered in Psalm 69, it's David. They, it's Holy Spirit helping. Holy Spirit bringing the word to their remembrance to help them get context for what's going on here now. Zeal for your house will consume me. The Holy Spirit's going, yeah, I know it's hard for you guys to handle. It's zeal for the house that's burning in Jesus. And that's why he's doing it. Beloved, you and I need the same insight from Holy Spirit. We need to understand the motivators. And that's what the Holy Spirit's doing for the disciples there. And that's what he's doing for us. That's where the commentary is coming from. He's giving us insight into the motivators behind why Jesus did what he did. He's giving us understanding of his heart. And so it's as if the Holy Spirit's just saying, you've got to understand he's burning, he's eaten up, there's jealousy, there's zeal moving in his heart, and that's why he's acting the way he's acting. This issue is critical, and that's why he's doing this. And so if it's so critical, and it is, we need to pay attention to it. We must pay attention to it. You know, at the end of the day... I want whatever is important to the Lord to be important to me. And if it's not important to the Lord, I don't care. If it's, I don't want it to be important to me. I know that there are things that are important to me that are not important to the Lord. But I ultimately want, and I pray for the people of God, and I pray for us, that whatever is important to him would be important to his bride. Amen? This is important if we see him as, uh, as this burning, jealous, fiery one who is making this style of a statement. And it's important at that level. And, and the Holy Spirit's commentary is he's consumed with zeal over this issue. Then, beloved, we too need to take a good look at the issue and say, Lord, I want to know what's on your heart so it can be on my heart too. So let's, let's consider it. Let's, let's look at Psalm 69, where he's, where he's quoting this from. Zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. Now, again, at a glance, that seems, what that's saying seems obvious, but I want to just say this, that statement is loaded. It's got multiple facets of understanding when David first penned it, I think it meant something to David. And I think it meant, means multiple things to the Lord and has several levels of revelation. The ones that I want to focus on are this. He says, zeal for my house. I think the my house is, is clearly twofold. It's potentially manyfold, but clearly twofold. 
my house, it's the house of prayer. Zeal for my house. Again, when you see temple, when you see tabernacle, think house of prayer. Zeal for my house, the house of prayer will consume me. So on one level, he's saying zeal for purity of devotion in the house of prayer, it will consume me. And on another level, I believe he's saying it's zeal for my house, my people, zeal for Israel. He calls the house of Israel, he calls the nation of Israel the house of Israel. So at least twofold, zeal for my house, zeal for the house of prayer, zeal for Israel. So just, just tuck that away from it. We're going to expound on that. And so he, because he's, he's got this multiple facets that he's, he's declaring, the thing about it is the chief issue for both of them, the house of prayer, the nation of Israel, the people of God, the chief issue is purity of devotion. Oh, that the people of God would offer a pure offering. In Malachi, it says the Lord is going to come. He's going to come in purifying fire, and he's going to purify the sons of Levi that they may offer to the Lord an, a pure offering in righteousness. Beloved, this is on the heart of the Lord, not just for Israel, but for the people of God from all ages, for all time. What does it really mean? What does purity of devotion mean? It means simply this. He doesn't want us just going through the motions. He wants hearts that are gripped with passion for him the way he's gripped for passion, with passion for us. He wants reality. He doesn't just want form and function. He wants depth. He wants intimacy. If you're wondering why you came to the kingdom, I promise you, whatever your natural purpose is in this age, it does not Trump, it doesn't supersede this. You came to the kingdom for intimacy with God. He wants you. He's not just looking about what he can get from you. He wants you. He wants your heart. The biggest tragedy is that we would learn how to do church and not be the church. We would learn how to do the rituals and actually not have the heart realities. We would learn all the Christian language without being, you know, burning with love. To operate an organization but have no flow of love from the Lord. The issue for both, for the house of prayer, which that house of prayer, my house should be called a house of prayer. Just think church. The church is to be the house of prayer. The issue for the church, the issue for Israel, it's the issue for all humankind. Purity of devotion, love, from, from, with a sincere faith, love from a pure heart. Paul said that's the end of our instruction, love, real love. It's what he's after. And when Jesus shows up in the temple, they're going through the motions. It, it's become mostly about entertainment. The feast is now just entertainment. And it's become about economics. Instead of it becoming about a heart that's poured out and laid down before God. 
flowing in passionate devotion with him. That's the issue. Because I'm burning for my house. I'm consumed with jealousy. See, the word zeal, when I saw this, it just, it just it, it shocked me. I don't know if I forgot it or I saw it for the first time. I'm pretty convinced that I've forgotten far more than I know. Just forgot it. I go back and read my notes sometimes. I go, whoa, that's really good. <laughs> just like brand new idea. I did, it, you know, I did it five years ago. Wow, what a great thought. I'm operating on about 40 Megs up here. It's a lot more than what my little brain can hold. But I, I, I'm not sure if I knew it and I forgot it or it hit me the first time. But I'm just reading it again this week. I think I knew it before maybe. But the word zeal, zealous, the, the, the Hebrew word for zealous is also the Hebrew word for jealous. Why is Jesus so fired up? Because he's jealous. He's a man in love. Why is Jesus coming into the temple in that manner, with that kind of passion, with that kind of zeal, making that kind of scene? Because he's on fire in love. Our God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And when he shows up and he sees it again, that his people are just going through the motions and there's no heart reality, oh, his zeal explodes and he cleanses the temple. Oh, you know what? He's still dealing with that today. He's still, still kindled with zeal today. He's still as jealous for his people today. He still is jealous for the church today. He's still very interested in overturning the money t- uh, changers' tables today. He's zealous because he's jealous. He's jealous because he's in love. Jesus is in love. He's passionate for his people. Consumed with love. We see him consumed with love, exploding in zeal for purity. So he gets the phrase from Psalm 69. Did you, did you get over there? Psalm 69 You know, we get a little bit of the narrative of what happened in David's life. We get it here and we get hints of it in other places, but but we really don't get it spelled out. Uh, These details that he gives us in Psalm 69, uh, we don't really get it spelled out this way in other places. But but look at this in in, in verse 8. I don't don't know if they've got it up for you, but you can just look at it in in the Bible. Verse 8, it says, I have become estranged from my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. He goes, there's an issue on the table. It's causing division between me and my bros. Me and my family, we're having a problem. And we kind of see it at the beginning when, you know, when he goes out and the armies of Israel are, are arrayed against the Philistines. And he's trying to bring his brothers some food. And Eliab kind of talks down to him. And we see it. But now we're talking about when, you know, when he's king. We're, we're talking about later in life. Because I'm, I'm estranged from my brother's I'm estranged from my mother's uh, sons. There's a divisive issue on the table and it's separated our family. That's, that's pretty intense. Well, what is it, David? He goes, zeal for your house has consumed me. Now that's interesting. 
Zeal for your house. Zeal for the house of prayer has consumed David and it's become a divisive point in his own family. He goes, and the reproaches of those who reproach you, God, have fallen on me. When I wept in my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. And when I made sackcloth my, cloth, my clothing, I became a byword to them. He goes, the key issue that separated me from my family was my aggressive devotion to God and the issue of fasting and prayer and building the house of prayer. We don't really get this commentary anywhere else. I, I just think that's fascinating that they, were, they had a problem with it. Now, here's the thing. When you, when you meet intercessors, you know, if, if, you ever, if you ever meet an intercessor that's, that's kind of got that elite thing on them, um, they, they, let me just say, it, they need to repent, but um, <laughs> how to win friends and influence people right there. Uh, but probably they, they haven't prayed as much as they say they do. Because when you really find a person of prayer, they don't, they don't walk around arrogant like some peacock with their chest puffed out. They, they're generally broken. They're, you know, re, when you, like, read the diary of David Brainerd. He's an intercessor who's broken. He, and I mean, his diary reads like, he's just like, I'm an unworthy worm. Because the closer you get to the fire, the more you're aware of your flaws. So the closer an intercessor gets to God, the more humility and more brokenness will be evident in them. But the challenge is this. A lot of times you'll find prayer people that they're, they're, they're creating upheaval and problems with others because they come across arrogantly. But then you'll, you'll also find this challenge. And I think this is what was going on with David. Just by virtue of the fact that he was giving himself to prayer and fasting, by virtue of the fact that zeal had consumed him, that is what became his reproach. It's what my friend told me years ago. He's out at McDonald's with a, a friend of his who was really into like running marathons and fitness. And, and my friend, he orders, you know, a Big Mac and fries, supersize and a shake. And the marathoner guy gets like a salad, no dressing, and a cup of water. So they're sitting there as my friend is asking him about physical fitness. He's <laughs> pounding a Big Mac. And the guy's, you know, eating his little dainty salad. And my friend just looked at him and goes, you know, I'm just convicted right now. Just, just even being in your presence while you're eating the salad and I'm eating the Big Mac. He goes, just, I feel bad. Well, it's kind of like that when you, when you get around somebody who's a, really a prayer person and you know, you go, man, I, I know I need to build my prayer life. They might not even say anything. It's just the fact that you know that they're eating salad and drinking water, you know. You just go, oh, man, I really need to, to pick this up a bit. That's what's going on with David. It says prayer and fasting is what became the reproach. Prayer and fasting. It's kind of like a, a Joseph story where Joseph was estranged from his brothers. It's like David is walking a parallel path. Zeal for your house has consumed me. Now look at this. Look at this. Uh, when I made sackcloth my clothing, verse 11, I became a byword to them. Look at verse 12. Those who sit in the gate talk about me, and I'm the song of drunkards. Those who sit in the gate are talking about the leading people of the city. We're talking about the wealthy and those that have influence. 
They're sitting in the gate and they're going, what's up with David? He's got that prayer thing. He's paying for it with government money. What, what is going on? Having a problem with this. And they're talking negatively about him. And then meanwhile, you got, you got those guys who sit in the gate. They're talking negatively about David. And then you got the drunkards. So you've got the top guys in society and the bottom guys. And the drunkards are going, David's weird. He's doing a house of prayer. And they're singing songs about how David's weird. That's what the Bible says. And I am the song of drunkards. <laughs> some drunk guy at some point was singing negatively about David. The Lord uses all of it to, to, to keep David humble. And that's the point. Here's, my, here's the, the point I'm making. Jesus is pulling this verse from this challenge. But what's happened to David is unusual. He's been, he's been pierced with zeal. Now think about David's path. One minute he's playing the harp. The next minute Samuel shows up. The next minute he, he's getting anointed. He's going to be the future king. The next minute he's killing Goliath. The next minute he's leading the army. The next minute Saul is throwing a spear at him and he's on the run. The next minute he is king. And the first thing he does as king is sets up the tabernacle of David. And David goes, you know, which is night and day prayer right there, the tabernacle of David. We'll take a session and explain that whole transaction. But David goes, by the, by the virtue of me setting that thing up, he goes, it's caused major division between me and my family. And, and, and we go, wow, wow, David. He goes, yeah, actually, zeal for the house has eaten me up. And I look at David, and I, you read in Psalm 132, where David goes, I won't give any sleep or slumber to my eyes till I find a resting place for the God of Jacob. And you get this picture of David. He's burning with zeal, not of his own doing. He's burning with the zeal of the Lord. It's like the Lord has gripped him with a vision and a passion for the, for the house of prayer that that David never expected. He goes, I, 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 don't, even, I don't want to do anything else. And, and you see that kind of thing come out in like Psalm 27. He goes, one thing I desire is to gaze on your beauty. I, I look at my own life. And I, you know, one minute I was a youth pastor. I wanted, you know, for a while I just wanted a big ministry sphere. And then the next thing I just wanted revival. And I started praying. And after a while... Something happened. Like I, I went on a holy left turn that I could never have imagined was going to happen. It's almost like I feel like the Lord was going, your little vision, little buddy, 100,000 souls in Gwinnett County. That's so cute. I think you're so awesome. What a great idea. That's so cute and sweet, your little vision. Let me help you. And then the next thing I know, all I want to do See night and day prayer offered to the Lord in Atlanta. Because I've got a little broader vision for you. A little grander reality. A different focus. Where you're not the hero of your own vision statement. Because actually my son will be the desire of all nations. What about the vision that makes him the hero? I went, oh, really? 
and, and you know, I, this still happens to me where I just wake up in the morning and I'm coming to IHOP and I go, and how did this happen again? Five years, night and day. How did that happen? Well, what it is, is this issue of the zeal of the Lord. The zeal that we see in Jesus, the zeal that we see in David, is the same zeal that God is putting in his people at the end of the age. It's the same zeal he's possessing his church with. It's the same zeal that God is going to spread through the bride so that at the end of the age, the the bride will be in unison with the Holy Spirit in a bridal identity crying out, Come, Lord Jesus. The house of uh, the house that should be called a house of prayer, that will be the church. The church will be a praying church burning with this zeal. Now, Isaiah 62, I want to show you this. This is where we get sort of the narrative on this zeal. Look at Isaiah 62. Just flip over there. I want my heart to burn with what's burning on his heart. And if it's not burning on his heart, then I don't want it. There is a a menu. There is a platter of things that are about to take place in the earth. There is a global Gentile harvest. There is a full harvest of Israel. There are massive judgments that are going to come on the planet. There is a global prayer movement that God's raising up. And it has multiple things that will be as a a result of it. And the, the end thereof is the return of the Lord Jesus to the planet. This menu of of events that's going to take place, it's all put in motion because of the zeal that's on the Lord's heart. Now look at this, Isaiah 62. Let me just lay this out. Isaiah 62, verse 1. The Lord is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. For Zion's sake... I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet. The NKJV says, I'll give myself no rest until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that's burning. So God says this. He goes, there's an issue that I have. It's on my heart. He goes, it's an issue that I won't shut up about and I won't rest about. Now, when the Lord says that, He goes, I won't keep silent and I'll give myself no rest about an issue. Don't you think that's a good issue for us to pay attention to? It's a good issue to take note of. He goes, yeah, for Zion's sake. He goes, she is going to burn with righteousness. He goes, I won't shut up and I won't stop. Until Zion burns, till she's a burning and shining lamp, till she's passionate and zealous for me. I look at that and I go, whoa, you have a serious, serious desire for you to say it like this. And throughout the Old Testament, we see God make statements like this. Through Zechariah, he goes, I'm zealous for Zion with great zeal. Twice. I'm zealous for Zion with great zeal. He says it this way in the NIV. He goes, I'm burning with jealousy for her. Ooh. So you're not going to get talked out of that? He goes, no. So we don't just replace that and put the church in there. No! 
See, for the longest time, whenever I saw Zion, Jerusalem, Israel mentioned in the Old Testament, I didn't know any better. I just, well, I don't know what that means, so let me just put the church in there. He's burning for me with great, great zeal. Okay. And I didn't realize that even the New Testament tells us you don't do that because the gospel is to the Jew first and then also the Gentile. And beloved, we are heirs according to the promise that God made to Abraham and we're living in a, in a reality where we're one new man together, Jew and Gentile together. We have been grafted in to that olive tree. And, and so in a manner of speaking, you could say that you and I believe, are believers in the Messiah of Judaism. You don't just throw that out. You don't just replace Israel. There are promises and there are things burning in the heart of God for Israel. Let me tell you something. They're not just going to be left out. God's serious. And he makes statements like this. He goes, I'm I'm jealous for her. I'm burning with jealousy for her. I'm zealous for her with great zeal. He goes, I won't keep silent. I'll give, uh, he goes, "I I won't give myself any rest over this issue. And so I immediately go, okay, you want, you want Israel? You want the nations because the, the father's promised Jesus the nations as his inheritance, but you, you want Israel. In other words, you're not gonna just take the nations without getting Israel. He goes, that's exactly right. You know, God chooses Abram and from Abram, he brings Jacob. From Jacob, he makes a nation. Why? So he can bring God on earth. So he can bring Messiah. And Jesus is a Jewish man, and he's not going to just lose his family in the process of redeeming mankind. Amen. He's serious about this point. Just like you would be serious about your family, he's serious about his. So I go, okay, Lord, I want to know what's on your heart so my heart can resonate with you. He goes, well, look at this. He goes, I'm zealous for Zion with great zeal. He goes, I won't rest until she burns. I go, yes, sir, yes, yes. I want more revelation of that. How how are you going to do that? Because right now she's mostly just socially Jewish and mostly religiously agnostic or atheistic. How are you going to take a people who are mostly atheistic and agnostic and make them burn with great zeal just like you have for them? And he lays it out in Isaiah 62, his his agenda. He he says, I want to change her name. I'm going to call her beautiful. I'm going to call her married. She's going to be arrayed with the glory of the Lord. I go, that's great, Lord. I want that. I want to mirror passion that you have. He goes, good, good, because that's my agenda. I go, good. He goes, now here's my game plan. I go, okay, I see your agenda is, is Israel's righteousness, so tell me what your action plan is. He goes, I will. It's verse six. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I've appointed watchmen. All day and all night, they will never keep silent. You who make mention, you who remind, you who cry out to the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him, give the Lord no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Amazing to me. So I go, okay, your plan to see Israel burn with bright righteousness is to raise up companies who will cry out in prayer night and day 
that's the game plan? He goes, yes. And I, you know, in my little carnal, unrenewed mind, I go, you know, I might have done it a little differently. I mean, you are God. You could do anything. (laughs) He goes, no, I'm going to raise up intercession. I am going to, he goes, I'm going to fill the air with prayer. And, And that volume of prayer, it's like pulling back the archer's arrow. Beloved, there's a moment in time when the, the global prayer movement, I mean, I'm talking about prayer across the nations of the earth, is so going to fill the sky that when the Lord answers the concerted joint prayers of the bride all together at one time, glory is going to be released. There's a fullness, a full number of Gentiles that will get saved. That's what Paul tells us in Romans eleven twenty five and 26. The fullness of the Gentiles will come in and then all Israel will be saved. God has got a plan in mind that is going to release so much power it's going it's to shock and shake and transition a mostly atheistic nation, Israel, and turn them into burning, fiery lovers of Jesus. And I go, great. Well, how are you going to do it? He goes, Prayer. I'm going to raise up watchman communities all across the globe. They're going to fill the atmosphere with incense, and that motherload of incense is going to be returned to the earth in glory. I go, okay, I'm in. He goes, I know, I already got you in. I go, okay, now that I understand it, I'm in again. Because I was in before I even knew what I was into. That's how it always is with God. Most people get in and they don't know what they got into. You get saved because you don't want to go to hell, but you don't realize you just got into a kingdom. Right? You know, you get saved for a bunch of reasons, then you find out you just got into a God that loves you. You come to IHOP because you like worship or prophecy or healing or whatever, and you don't realize you just got into a global end time prayer movement that God is releasing on the earth unto the full salvation, the fullness of the Gentiles and the full salvation of Israel unto this Jerusalem becoming a praise in the earth. And here's the thing. All Israel getting saved, that's an awesome thing. He's burning for Zion. He's burning over that. It's a non-negotiable in the heart of God. But Jerusalem doesn't become a praise just because all Israel gets saved. Jerusalem becomes a praise when Jesus is the glory in her midst. Jesus Christ ruling the planet amidst a people, burning with zeal for her, then Jerusalem is a praise in the earth. Beloved, these are the the big picture plans that are on the horizon. Last week, I talked about the individual application, the community application of what it means to be a a house of prayer operating in a culture of prayer. This week, I'm giving you the big picture. Why is he doing this? Why is he burning with zeal? What is going on? Why is there right now a global prayer movement taking place? It's because he's zealous for Zion with great zeal. He has an agenda. He's going to see a massive harvest of Gentiles unto the full salvation of Israel, and he's returning to the globe to rule and reign in Jerusalem. No, really, like, I mean, this is it. 
just want a little revival in Gwinnett. That's why Jesus goes into the temple and throws over the tables because he's zealous and jealous for her passionately burning for his house. You see it? And so we come to this. The zeal of the Lord, the zeal of the Lord is for the house of prayer. The zeal of the Lord is for the house of Israel. And the zeal of the Lord is for the coming kingdom of Messiah on the earth. Look at Isaiah 9. Let me just show you this. I'm going to land over here. It's a threefold zeal, beloved. Because that word house, it can mean the dynasty or the empire, the kingdom. It's the house of prayer, it's the nation of Israel, and it's the kingdom of Messiah on the earth. Isaiah 9, we love this. This is a Christmas song. I, I, I know the Lord has to chuckle. I know he chuckles at me. We sing all sorts of stuff. We quote all sorts of verses. We don't know what they're talking about. We just like the tune. Unto us child is born. You know, we just like that. We don't, we don't know what this is talking about. Let me, let me tell you what this is talking about. Let me tell you my little version. God goes, you have no idea. There's 25 more levels of revelation in Humphrey, but give them the first level. Okay, here I go. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. The government of what? The nations. And he will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. You ever thought about Jesus, the one who's got all authority in heaven and earth? You know there's a man who's got all authority in heaven and earth, Jesus? Matthew 28, he goes, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, now go. It's government, beloved. It's government. King Jesus, king of the nations. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Do you know what Jerusalem means? Jerusalem, foundation of peace or city of peace. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. David's throne, beloved, was an earthly throne in the nation of Israel in Jerusalem. His kingdom was an earthly kingdom, the nation of Israel. Well, the Lord says of this son, the one who's going to be called mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace, he is going to reign on David's throne and in David's kingdom. Remember the zeal that was in David? The reason that zeal was in David is because this is the zeal of the Lord. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. How? How is this going to happen? The zeal of the Lord will perform this. When you see Jesus show up in the temple and overthrow tables and the Holy Spirit whispers to the disciples, 
The zeal of the Lord. He's consumed with the zeal of the Lord. It's unto this reality. He's consumed with the zeal of the Lord over his house. He's, it's this reality that God's pointing to. He's zealous for the house of prayer with purity of devotion. He's zealous for the house of Israel, purity of devotion. He's zealous for the kingdom that the Father has promised. A people across the earth with the glory of the Lord covering the seas, covering the earth as the waters cover the seas, with the, the nations as the inheritance the Father's promised the Son. Beloved, I tell you right now, here is what's happening. I'm giving you the headlines. The Lord is causing all the streams to flow together as one river unto this, that the people of God would be consumed with the very zeal of the Lord unto these purposes. The full salvation, the Gentile harvest, the full salvation of Israel and the Lord Jesus ruling and reigning on the earth. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will perform this. This is the action plan of God. Now you've got to have this as a foundational understanding. When we're talking about a culture of prayer, it's not simply just to have a nice little sweet time. You've got to have the big picture of what God's doing with this thing. This is about Jesus ruling and reigning. This is about Jesus seeing all Israel saved. This is about a global harvest. This is about the kingdom to come. And ultimately, beloved, his house will be a house of prayer. The church will be a praying church. This is where it's going. Now, it's our portion to be filled with the zeal that fills him. That's our portion. To have the zeal in us that's in him. To have the jealousy in us that's in him. That's what I want. I want my heart to resonate with the things that are resonating in his heart. I don't want to give myself to little side issue pursuits that are not on the mind of the Lord. I don't want to pass off you know, teachings and use some Bible verses and act like this is it. No, I want to get what God says is burning on his heart and I want that to, to possess me. Ah, just like, I mean, what happened to David? One minute he's playing the heart, and the next thing he says, zeal for his house has consumed me. And oh, beloved, that we would have that. Zeal for his house would consume us. Well, this is foundational. It's foundational. It's critical. I know it's a lot of information. They told me, hey, don't worry about people saying amen. They're processing. That's fine. Okay, good. You just process all you want, but ultimately, it's, it's, I want it to end up with your heart burning. I want your heart to be on fire. On fire with what's, what's caused his heart to be on fire. Zeal for his house. Zeal for the house of prayer. Zeal for Israel. Zeal for the coming kingdom. This is our portion, to burn like he burns. Oh, that's, how, that's it. I want to burn like he burns. Good, amen.